Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? You know, I don't even know what I think about this idea. The idea of an artificial general intelligence, AGI, a thing that just like, you know, God mode agent that just answers any question, becomes your super helper, is sitting on your shoulder at all times. Do you think that's realistic? I actually don't think it's very far away. I mean, I, I you know, I think calling it super human or something, I forget what you said exactly. I mean, it sounds apocalyptic or something. Uh, it isn't. It's like a, it's a super tool. The value of AI is real. Okay, it's not a hype. It's because we have managed to mechanize a set of capabilities that only humans knew how to do before that. Those are cognitive skills. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. Welcome back. It's great to be back, man. I needed the break. Uh, I don't know about y'all. It was, uh, but I had a wonderful time off. I went to London. I went to Portugal. We had a little family reunion in Tennessee, of all places. It was fabulous. Fabulous except for the actual traveling bit of it, which was horrendous. Literally every leg of our journey was marred by huge delays, canceled flights, extra nights in airport, hotels, etc. It was kind of a nightmare, that aspect of it. The airlines really have become kind of like just bus services, like Greyhound or Megabus in the skies, but worse. But anyhow, you're not here to listen to me complain about my travels. You're here to talk tech, to listen to tech, and I have a slate of awesome guests coming up in the next month. Um, It's going to be very good fun. And first up, we're going to talk about AI. Obviously, we're checking in as the summer winds down, as the hype kind of dies down just a little bit post-GPT, chat GPT, which goes back to November now, so it's been about nine months. And I wanted to see what's happening on the ground in the industry. And on the show, to help us do that, we have Edo Liberty. He is the founder of a company called Pinecone, which has raised nearly $140 million. And what they basically do is put AIs through school. So what do I mean by that? So, you know, you've all tinkered with ChatGPT or many of its rivals. And while they're really, really good at certain things, they have this nasty habit of making things up, of hallucinating. We've talked about this before. But what Pinecone has done is create a technical gateway that allows any company to train a given language model or AI on their specific corpus of data or intelligence so that it gets smarter about the tasks it's being asked to do. So it is effectively giving AIs a specific memory 
on which to draw so that they're way more useful and make up less stuff. Anyhow, that is the big idea, and Ito has been working on it long before ChatGPT became a thing and woke kind of the world up to this tech. He saw this need coming. We also talk about the state of the market, the AI bubble, and all the insane things that are set to come as LLMs and AIs get better and start to seep into our lives in all these interesting different ways. So here he is, Ito Liberty of Pinecone. It is great to be back, and I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Um, it sounds like you're busy. <laughs> These are really interesting times in terms of AI. But I guess a good place to start is I've just taken a month off of the podcast. I'm kind of diving back in. I was just on holiday, etc. I'm trying to get like a temperature check of all things AI and particularly around large language models like ChatGPT. There was, of course, this huge wave of enthusiasm. A bunch of companies were raising tons of money. Everybody was declaring the end of every industry because it's about to be upended by all of these, you know, smart agents, etc. Now things have kind of quieted down a bit, which, you know, these cycles go that way. But where where are things in terms of like what you guys are working on? Because I, as I, if I correct me if I'm wrong, Pinecone is working on one of the kind of the big problems, if not the big problem with AI, which is this problem with hallucination, but just um, have things from where you sit, have things calmed down? Are they still just like going gangbusters in the kind of, you know, the frothiness of the market? And also, is it becoming clear kind of the problems, what they are and what needs to be fixed? We're seeing the wave uh, that everybody else is seeing. The whole world went through a bit of a craze uh, end of last year and beginning of this year. Like you said, like everybody was experimenting with it and, and, and talking about it. And there's a lot of excitement and a lot of uh, fear mongering and a lot of genuine concerns and a lot of like there was everything of everything. And like you said, it was just a huge hype. We've seen, of course, that calm down both in terms of our own usage or our partners report the same things or the whole market kind of behaves in lockstep. But you do see the undercurrent of it being actually very linear. And so right. while the hype went up and, and down, there's actually a massive app uptick of, of usage or creation of actual good and new tools. You know, I think that the main message is for me and I think for a lot of people is that we've learned how to do something new, right? And that's exciting because now we have a new tool in the arsenal and we can apply it to a lot of things, not to everything. We don't have to lose our heads, but we do have a lot of new capabilities that are going to bring a a ton of value to a lot of of, of companies. And so we see that actually accelerating, but that doesn't happen like at a weekly cadence. That thing takes months to build and talent to acquire and expertise to build and products to ship and stuff like that. That's many quarters, two years. uh, And that's been building up, I think, very, very healthily. Still, I think, one of the fastest evolving markets ever. To your point around things kind of progressing linearly. I mean, linearly, I I mean, monotonically. I mean, like they're growing. Yeah. Linearly is not the right word, but yes. That was one of the things I wanted to touch on because I'll just speak to my personal experience. Like, you know, I signed up to chat GPT because, you know, I had to. So I'm GPT plus or whatever. I pay 20 bucks a month. 
And I was like, let me experiment with using this for my work, which is often a lot of research where, you know, I can spend half an hour looking for just that one fact I need or whatever it may be. And, you know, the idea of something that could just give me the answer, very alluring. And I used it a few times and it confidently gave me the wrong answer every time for the, the few questions that I asked. And so I basically, I stopped using it. And I've seen a lot of stuff from folks in the AI world, particularly on X or Twitter, whatever you call it now, who are like, oh, you can see like there's this, the, talking earlier about that hype cycle, everybody starts using these things and then kind of it falls off a cliff as people realize, you know, outside of certain verticals that these are kind of toys that don't have a ton of utility outside of, you know, certain applications. Are you seeing that as well? And how does that relate to what you're trying to do at your company? Because it does feel like lots of people have tried these things. They're amazing in certain ways. And in other ways, it's like, I can't use this, at least right now. You're absolutely right. Those mistakes, I think, were beautifully branded and marketed as hallucinations, uh, which are things that uh, cognitive uh, beings experience, right? Yeah. They're not uh, that, you know. And so for me, they're just mistakes. It's just wrong information being generated. And we have to understand, it's maybe obvious to practitioners, maybe non-obvious to users, that these, the generative AI is primarily concerned with generation. It's concerned with creation of language that sounds and feels and, and, and makes sense to a human, right? It's very good at summarizing things. It's very good at uh, producing natural sounding language. What is it? It's not is a search engine. What it's not is a knowledge base. It's not a factual well from which you can produce actionable, uh, you know, information, right? Yeah. Let alone the reliable information. And so I think the disillusionment that a lot of people had was based off of exactly what you said, Danny, which is I expected this thing to know more. I expected it to be a lot more accurate and, and it isn't. And that makes it unuseful for me. Yeah. Or unusable for me. Right. Whether it's that's to be expected or not is besides the point. You, you had a need that was not fulfilled by that tool. And what we're seeing happening now and where Pinecone fits in is that the language model is only one part of the equation. And the, the other half of the equation is the knowledge, is the information that actually gets fed into those summarizations yeah. that you can build answers for from. And so for a tool to do what you were expecting it to do, it needs to do two things. It needs to be able to speak eloquently and understand what you're asking and all that stuff, which LLMs do phenomenally well. But it also has to know <laughs> the answer. It needs to have access to the information that it needs to actually synthesize a good answer, right? And the, the, the other half, that second component, the knowledge base, the the information representation. That's what vector databases do, and primarily Pinecone is, is the leading uh, actor in, in that space. My understanding of LLMs, and at least what I feel like we've all been told, is that you know, you just need a a ton of data to train these things, and the more data they have, 
the better they will be. So you have you read the entire written internet, every encyclopedia page, the Library of Congress, whatever it is, you put all that into an LLM and it makes it smarter and smarter, more capable, more, more capable. So where does what you are doing fit in there? Because it feels like that memory function, is it that the memory function is not built into that? Or is all of that training data just allowing the LLM to understand and generate language in a more high fidelity way, but it doesn't give it necessarily the knowledge that it needs? I'm trying to understand kind of the distinction there, because it does feel like with LLMs, it's, you know, it's a question of data. And the more you have and the better your models are, the smarter and smarter it will be. This is a common, I would call it as, as far as misperception that, uh, frankly, I think some practitioners and, uh, you know, are, are actually ch- trying to pursue. And so I'll uh, reserve uh, some amount of skepticism on, on okay, m- maybe it, it holds some water, but, but I doubt it. So let me give you by analogy, what, what would, how rich, like training those networks. So retraining them, what's called fine tuning mm. oftentimes, which is take a, a, a pre-trained network and train it further. How is that different than using a vector database? Okay. And the example that comes to mind is if you want to speak to say a doctor, mm-hmm. right? if you want to be a doctor, really, right. And then you have something to intelligently converse with you and be very knowledgeable about medicine. What humans do in becoming doctors has to do a lot more with, it looks a lot more like what we are suggesting, which is have a medical student come into medical school, medical school already fully knowing English. They might have to learn some medical terms, right? Yeah. But they know English, they know how to read and write and synthesize language and converse and, and summarize information. What they're lacking is the body of knowledge, right? They need to learn medicine. And so when they come into medical school, they learn medicine. They augment their data or the, the, the information with a body of knowledge. And now they can converse intelligently about medical issues, right? Yeah. What is not happening is medical school could be different in the LLM language, right? Uh, or in LLM world, yeah. Uh, which is medical school is you come in, you know nothing about medicine, but you go and tag along on the morning rounds in all the different uh, units, and you just do that for 10 years. Okay, so you, you do the rounds for five hours a day, every day for 10 years, okay? You've picked up on a lot of language. You've mm. figured out a bunch of stuff. You've, you've seen a bunch of things. You know how to speak doctor, right? But you might not know a lot, right? Right. You might sound in very intelligent. You might pass as a doctor, but you might have, in some sense, no clue what the hell you're, you're saying. I mean, I bet you, by the way, that if somebody did that, like if a really intelligent person just tagged along for the rounds every morning for 10 years they would probably get a lot of things right. They're not going to actually, <laughs> I'm sure they're not going to be awful doctors. I wouldn't want to be treated by that person, but they're probably going to almost be okay on most cases, right? And they're going to sound really good. They're going to sound like a really good doctor. Basically, this is you're describing journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I, yeah, it's, it's funny. I don't think that actually applies, but it's, it's funny. Anyway, so training looks that way. When you say 
have those models train on more and more and more language, they're just being exposed to more and more documents, more and more language. It's not really accessing any information in any structured way, right? It doesn't actually remember anything. So I think there are inherent limitations of trying to get to something with that has any level of high fidelity that way. And put aside the technical aspect, this is actually way harder than just giving the language model. You've already trained the information next to it instead of training and retraining and fine-tuning and measuring. Is it better? Is it worse? Did it, does it know more about this but regressed on a different topic that I didn't have information for? Because, again, a lot of people are grappling with. With decoupling those two components that really care about very different things, you kind of get the best of both worlds. I mean, you, you get full control of what the LLM knows and what it doesn't know. You can delete and add and, and change and so on. And you can have the intelligent conversation. So you have like a really intelligent student that also learned medicine rather than somebody who speaks doctor really well. Yeah. So it's kind of moving beyond kind of high fidelity bullshit to actually sending an LLM to medical school or law school or customer service school or whatever. Exactly. And companies, we started off with saying these are now really good tools. Companies are now picking up on the fact that, wait a second, now I can do it with my own legal documents. I can do it with my own you know, service records. I can do it now with my contracts or with my you know, support tickets or with my whatever, everything. And they're like, wait a second, somebody can, I can now converse with a salesperson that's been a part of every sales conversation that ever happened in my company. I'm like, holy cow, that, that, that's transformational, right? But now right. they need the tools to be able to do that. That's you know, where, where the, you know, these new technologies like Pinecone come in, where not only Pinecone, though, though, you know, LLMs and, and services are now maturing really, really quickly. So what was in a year ago, maybe science fiction, now is few months worth of effort by a fairly small team can put together something pretty impressive. Let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? And very importantly, is Edo Liberty your actual birth name? It is. It is. That's an amazing name. Uh, thanks, man. It's, uh, I was born in Israel. Edo is a, is a Hebrew name, a pretty common one even. Not very common uh, here, obviously. Hmm. Liberty is a fairly recent abbreviation of Librati, which is like a Jewish Moroccan name. Ah, uh, uh, okay. So okay. I'm, I'm like many other Israelis. I'm, I'm like a hodgepodge of half German, half Moroccan, half everything. And right. to, like it's Jewish family that moved all over the world. And now I've been here for almost 20 years now. The funny thing is I have, this is a complete uh, sidetrack about my name. Yeah. I, I took a, a cab ride once and the guy was freaking out about my name and then i learned that he is from a region in africa called Edo, and they are fighting for the sovereignty or liberty <laughs> liberty and for him like the fact that it's a sign for it's a sign somehow <laughs> like my name is Edo. Liberty is like, oh, you can come and be our king. I'm like, <laughs> just by the nail. <laughs> so that's that. I, I, I moved here to the U.S. for my Ph.D. I, I spent uh, five uh, years at Yale for my Ph.D. in postdoc and my Ph.D. in computer science postdoc in applied math. Pretty much the entire time dealing with the 
foundational, like mathematical and algorithmic underpinning of, of machine learning. So what time period was that? That's 2004, 2009-ish. Okay. Then started my first company, but then moved into Yahoo to be a director of research uh, and build uh, machine learning systems and, and platforms for, for Yahoo, which was uh, then uh, really a uh, powerhouse in machine learning and, and, and data science, what, what's called now. In 2016, I moved to AWS when uh, who's the person who's now the SVP that runs all of AI in, in AWS then was just starting a new org. It was him and like one or two other folks. And he basically mm. called me and said, hey, you know, we're, we're building machine learning services out of AWS. Uh, do you want to join? And Yahoo was then in the process of being uh, actually bought. You know, it was seems to be like a really good time. And so for three and three some years, I spent time building machine learning platforms, including SageMaker and like a bunch of others that people know AWS services that give the software underpinning of how, how machine learning is done today. And after almost 20 years and uh, what are 15 something years of building both the theory and the practice of it, I, I still decided to uh, start PinePhone because I saw that large language models were around the bend and vectors and this type of data representation is becoming a lot more common. Mm. And it was, you know, this kind of infrastructure was like a needed. When did you start Pinecone? What year was that? 2019. So that was 2019. OpenAI was still just like this tiny little, I think it was still a nonprofit then. People had no idea what they were talking about, to be honest. I mean, the first yeah. two years at Pinecone were rough. Yeah. So when you started Pinecone, was the idea of like, and I'm sure it wasn't exactly this, but like there's going to be something, some chat GPT-ish thing or things or development broadly that's going to change everything and we want to be in the middle of it because we see these issues with it. Or was it something different? And how was it starting a company at that time when AI, it wasn't exactly an AI winter, but it wasn't summer. Early spring. Yeah, exactly. It was early spring. First, I'll say that the trajectory of language and images and so on being represented as vectors and something like a vector database being a crucial piece of infrastructure. For me, that writing has been on the wall for at least 10 years. I, I was waiting for the market to mature into it in some sense, right? Uh, transformer, mo transformer models like BERT and others by Google uh, hit the market, uh, I think, 2017. I might be off, but something like that. They started picking up steam. GPT-3 kind of made a big splash, but there were other really big and really impressive language models before it, right? Like that journey has been happening, right? And so I think it broke onto the collective scene with ChatGPT, but it's been coming, right? I will say that as, as a company starting in 2019, where vector embeddings and language models and, and all that stuff wasn't as, as well understood as it, it is now was indeed like difficult in the sense that people had no idea what we were talking about, why we want to do what we want to do, why it's a business, why anybody cares. All of that stuff was like we had to start from the basics and there was a lot of convincing to do. And so the first two years, I felt like we had to do a lot of education, right? 
the term vector database really didn't quite exist to the way that it, it does today, right? So we, we when we announced our seed funding, we, we announced that, that that's what we call it because we went to our customers and said, okay, what, what do you call this thing that we just uh, gave you? <laughs> yeah. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is it fair to say it's basically giving some kind of specialized institutional memory and education to language models so that they are more useful. Correct. So you give your information to your LLM. So exactly that it can be, it can know more about your business, about the domain that you care about. The interesting thing is there are compliance issues that are data governance issues. They're like, there are a lot of production readiness, like maybe unexciting problems to solve for companies to be able to do that, that are also made a lot easier by this mechanism. So this is, it's, it's both the, the ability to do that and get accurate results, but also for a lot of, you know, we can talk about the concerns of AI, right? But many companies correctly are concerned with their own data leaking to other places and yeah. being shared in different ways and so on. Uh, and that is also, you know, solved in, in this way. So how was fundraising? When did you get your first seed funding? And like, you know, was that just, you know, squeezing blood from a stone to kind of get people or was it easier than that? No, I mean, we were lucky enough. Uh, that, so I, I, I was a director at AWS before that, an academic uh, before that and so on. So we had enough cachet to actually uh, get funded fairly easily. In the beginning, I think, again, it was harder uh, in the first few years because the field wasn't as hot, but yeah. the market, the whole market wasn't as hot. And of course, in the last year, it has been, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of wind in our back. So that, that was fairly easy. So how much have you raised total now? And is there a moment or a day or like a thing that you remember where you're like, oh, now everybody gets what we do? It wasn't like an exact date, but definitely somewhere in the chat GPT hype, 
like it's hard to explain. I mean, I think this is again as as a founder, you're so zoomed in on your company that that it's it's hard to even understand what's happening and uh, outside. Like my brother would tell me that his friend who's a game developer is our customer and they do something that I've never thought even possible. I'm like, you know, far out, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and that kept happening, you know? Yeah. It's at some point, you know, people, you know, it just became obvious to people that vector databases are a category and that this is here to stay. And it's a massive part of the ecosystem. You know, again, when we came up with our first PR and no seed funding, people called me concerned. Like, what is a vector? Why are you building a database? Who cares? What 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 are you talking about? Why? <laughs> you know, this is suicide, you know? And now I think there's like 30, 40 vector database companies that are trying to somehow usurp our, our dominance or, or do, you know, do something else or slightly address some mm. part of the market or whatever. So it's a completely different universe now than it was even a year ago. Wow. For us as a company. And how much money have you raised total now? 138 million. Right. And so my question is, say I'm OpenAI. I've got ChatGPT, this big beast of an LLM. Why can't I just do what you do? Because like, for example, they announced something with Morgan Stanley, where they're like, we've teamed up with Morgan Stanley. And Morgan Stanley is saying, this is amazing because basically we're going to feed all of our institutional data over the past hundred years of operation. So all of our research notes, market commentary, economist notes, everything, and kind of create this amazing well of information, a well of institutional knowledge, hook it up to chat GPT and presto, we have like, you know, on tap Morgan Stanley intelligence to any question you could possibly have about the market, stocks, whatever. That sounds like what you're doing. So what is the difference? Like, what are you doing that is different and or better than what a project like that says they're going to do? First of all, I, I think what they will have to do is either use Pinecone or do something that that effectively does something very similar. I don't see any other way to do this well. Right. If what they're trying to do is fine tuning or anything, I, I doubt mm. that it will work as well as they, as they want. I don't doubt their ambitions. I understand why somebody like Morgan Stanley would think this is, this is a really appealing product. The question is uh, whether they're going to be able to build it and how they're actually going to achieve that. What we're trying to do is to allow that kind of product building to happen in every company, it doesn't have to right. be Morgan Stanley, you know, having some super bespoke, massive contract with OpenAI. It could be Lululemon deciding to do this with five in-house developers, and that should be enough, right? Right. And so our point is that with the right tooling, okay, you don't have to be Morgan Stanley to do that. And in fact, we have many thousands of customers who do this today Many of them are like, whatever, 10 person startups mm. that have never spoken either to us or to OpenAI and build amazing tooling to all sorts of different problems. Got right? you. So is the tool you are building then basically creating a really easy, almost kind of automated handshake between LLMs and institutional body of knowledge X and allowing people to really easily and quickly build more effective LLMs for whatever purposes they need. Correct. 
And so if, if you're building something like this in-house, if you're not Morgan Stanley, if you're any other company with institutional knowledge, getting that into Pinecone and enabling an LLN to operate on top of it is going to be you know, maybe two weeks worth of hacking by, by one or two team members. And you should already start seeing some pretty compelling results. I see, I see, I see. Which is how it should be. I mean, this is software tooling. I mean, this is the beauty of software. I mean, you, it's, it's out there. You can pick it up and run with it. You don't have to talk to, you know, this is a new world. You don't have to talk to sales or, or yeah. uh, you know, sign contracts or whatever. This is, you know, take it and run with it. And how do you get paid? Is it like a subscription software as a service type thing? Yeah, it's consumption-based pricing. I mean, there's a free tier, which is uh, perpetually free, so people can use it uh, to you know, build applications. And at some point, you hit some capacity limit and you need more or faster or some right. you know, more enterprise features. And then, yeah, you pay for uh, by consumption. It's just based, uh, you pay for what you use. So there's no upfront contract or this or that. If you use the service a lot, great. You, you pay a lot, right. but you also get a lot of value. If you use it very little, you pay very little. And do you think, and uh, you know, I don't know what valuation you guys got or whatever, but just broadly, the thing that I think is really interesting that's playing out right now is you have this whole, um, and this is more market commentary. I'm interested in your kind of view as a founder, especially in the midst of a boom. You have like over a thousand quote unquote unicorns, tech unicorns around the world, mostly many of them here. And many of them are dying very quickly or having to slash costs, raise money at dramatically lower valuations because it's kind of people are realizing like, oh, all this quote unquote growth of the last 10 years is like a lot of it was fake. And one of the problems is you have all of these workers and all of these executives who are like who rode this zero interest rate craziness of the last decade plus and thought they were millionaires or billionaires. And now they're like, oh, wait, I have to accept this new reality. And it's all very messy. Watching what's happening in AI, it feels like there's a whole bunch of companies that are getting these massive valuations and they have zero revenue and no product. And you're kind of like, this feels like we're all, we're seeing the kind of the beginnings of this next cycle where a bunch of these companies that are worth a billion or two, you know, whatever, pull the number out of the air are just going to inevitably come crashing back down to earth and whether that is um, a healthy or sustainable way to build this industry or you just think this is just par for the course? First of all, we see the same things. It's been sort of a uh, an amazing journey the market's been on. And, and we <laughs> it's see been that, a journey. You know, it's and, absolutely been a journey. You know, and COVID was a whole different like kick in the head like that just threw everything in a, in a, you know, a whole different kind of whack and so yeah, it's been, it's the last uh, you know three four years have been just a complete uh, wild ride in terms of company valuations and and availability of uh, funding and and so on. I think some of the valuations in AI and maybe the market as a whole are misguided. Some of them are inflated. Some of them are are not high enough. Some of them are undervalued, in my opinion. And uh, so. It'd be interesting to see how how uh, how off I am in my guesses, but I'm not going to share exactly which company I think is under overvalued. <laughs> <laughs> I think, by the way, a lot of the hype, at least a lot of the, we can talk about the macroeconomics. What is really interesting to see how, just because everything else was slowing down, there was so much pressure to be able to allocate funding 
that when something is an appealing offering, then that becomes like the, the outlet for, for capital and that has its own dynamic. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating to see, to be honest. Did you ever think this wasn't going to work? Or did you ever think like, maybe uh, this is a bad idea? You know, especially those first couple of years where you're having to do all this, <laughs> maybe all, doing all this education and people are looking at you like you're speaking Greek and you're like, you're like, what am I doing this for? So did you think this wasn't going to work or think about giving up? And two, if we cast our mind forward for like, say, five years, is there a thing that you kind of see that seems very obvious to you? Because like, you know, you're on this coal face, you saw the need for vectoral databases you know, years ago before anybody understood even what you're talking about. From where you sit now, like five years from now, is there a thing that or things that seem super obvious that are going to happen that are hard for us to understand now in terms of the capabilities or the integration of LLMs in our lives or some kind of functionality that you think is just absolutely coming that you think will really kind of illustrate the power of the stuff or the kind of how potentially revolutionary the stuff could be? I'll answer the first question quickly because it's a cliche, but the answer is 100%. Like as a founder, no shortage of really rough days, right? I mean, this is anybody who started a business, any business owner. You should be I mean, you're extremely lucky if everything was just like a up into the right journey, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I can talk about it endlessly. I think it's not very interesting because it is it is like a cliche. Like every startup, every company starts with almost nothing and you have to really work for, for every inch of it. So 100%, I had my fair share of, of uh, anxious and, and hard days. I think your second question was, for me, a lot more exciting in the sense that one thing that was easier for me than most founders is that I never had any doubt that this is a foundational piece of infrastructure, that this is a needed product, okay? I was afraid that I wouldn't get the chance to actually build it the way that I wanted to and build a business around it the way that I wanted to. But I had no doubt that it was going to be a massive piece of infrastructure. You know, at least I had that to rely on, like throughout that journey. And the reason I felt that, the reason I still feel that, and the reason I still think we haven't even started tapping into the potential of what this technology needs to do is because we've been talking about making LLMs not hallucinate. For about an hour now. That's one application of vector databases. Okay. If you look at what we do with data in the world, okay, mm -hmm. we save it in files, any complicated piece of data that, you know, and, and then very small fractions of it, we can organize in a way that we can pull it in Excel spreadsheet or in like, a, like an analytical database that we can run our biz ops off of or our whatever, like a, like monitoring of some tool or whatnot, right? The fraction of data that fits today in any type of database, it fits in any kind of interactable piece of software. It depends on, on the analysis, but between five and 20% of the data, okay, in the world, mm -hmm. okay? So let's just say it's 10%, just for the sake of argument, but then we might be a little bit off, but it doesn't really matter. Let's say 10%. Yeah, yeah. Okay? What is the rest of the 90% of it? It's emails, it's images, it's uh, the, you know support tickets, it's sales calls, it's transcribed interviews, it's videos, it's user interactions, it's you name it, okay? Yep. Most of the data in the world is what I would call complex, right? It's 
complicated enough that, yeah, we as humans can read it and look at it. And we know what it is, but I can't take it and like stick it into like a, like a relational database table. Like I can't take, a, you know, a sales call and put it in Excel spreadsheet in a way that, that makes any sense, right? But with AI, we have the ability to now try to understand things, right? And so think about like, zoom out for a second all the way out and say, okay, if I had like a fully cognitive database in the world that could look at all my data and understand it the way that I understand it, okay, then you can ask a question, you know, you know, you know, find me the document that contains that summary about AI that, you know, you can ask a really complicated question. And if that database had access to all that information, it could actually understand it and transact against it. Suddenly you would, you would have capabilities you didn't have before. So for me, what's exciting about this field is that now, like 10% of the market is accessible to all the databases in the world. And 90% of the market is accessible only to Pinecone mm. because there's only one database that knows how to speak AI that actually interacts with those language and image models in the way that they expect to be interacted with, right? And so for me, this is about making all the data in the world transactable, usable, retrievable, useful, and so on. Again, for me, this is fascinating because there are a thousand hard problems to solve there, right? But we're, we're getting there, right? And, you know, this is already today a massive undertaking. But I don't see a world where we want to save less data and we want to do less with it over time. I think that people are going to save more and want to do more. And, and once you allow them to do more, they would want to do even more. And so for me, that's the exciting part. How we now tap into this like huge well of wealth of information that companies have and give them control over their own content and, and make that make that available to them and, and useful for them. Why Pinecone? Why the name? We like it, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it's like, if you look at our logo, like uh, sort of a geeky reason, but vectors in physics are math too, I guess, uh, are uh, drawn as arrows. Mm -hmm. They have like a direction and a magnitude, so it's usually arrows with lengths and so on. And so when you have a, a lot of vectors, it's like a lot of arrows. And then like when you put them out there, they kind of look like a porcupine -y thing. And then one, like when we were naming the company, I, I saw like a, a pine cone. It just clicked to me. It's like, oh, this kind of looks like that. And like pine cone is like a pod for really seeds and it's protective and grow up forest right. out of it. And it's natural and it's geometric. It's got, it works in a lot of different ways. But at the end of the day, it's like this, you know, geometric similarity and then just us really liking it and it feeling right. The last question I have is tapping into that other 90% of data and what that's going to unlock. You know, I don't even know what I think about this idea, the idea of an artificial general intelligence, AGI, a thing that just like, you know, God mode agent that just answers any question, becomes your super helper, is sitting on your shoulder at all times. Do you think that's realistic? I actually don't think it's very far away. I mean, I, I, you know, I think calling it super human or something, I forget what you said exactly. I mean, it sounds apocalyptic or something. Uh, it isn't. It's like a, it's a super tool. Mm. Okay. We have throughout history as, as, as humanity, we've, we've automated different 
kinds of labor, you know, from, you know, farming, automating, in some sense, hunting and gathering and, and like the mechanical revolution, you know, mechanizing physical labor, uh, just some parts of it and so on. Why I say the promise and the value of AI is real, okay, it's not a hype. It's because we have managed to mechanize a set of capabilities that only humans knew how to do before that. Those are cognitive skills, like reading 10 documents and summarizing them, right? Yeah. I and mean, that's like, we didn't know how to do that before. I mean, not automatically, right? And we have a new tool. And so 100% that capability is going to be woven into a ton of different facets of life. Pretty much every, in my opinion, every profession would find their set of tools and how they find the most amount of value out of it where it works well for them and where it works well, less well for them and so on. Yeah. And there's going to be, there are going to be a lot of companies, a lot of services, products, and changes in the way that people practice their trade based on this technology, right? So 100%. I don't see that as a ominous or, you know, apocalyptic thing that a lot of people do. It's just, just a really phenomenal tool that does some of what we are used to doing today and does that for us and even slightly better. Great. We'll find other things to do. There's no shortage of things you want to achieve. We don't have to waste time doing stuff that we know how to mechanize. And that is all the time I have. I want to thank Ido for taking the time. I want to thank you all for listening, for the ratings, for the reviews. I'm sure you guys just spent your summers just writing in amazing reviews for Danny in the Valley. So thanks. Um, If you haven't done it, take a moment. Do it now. I will be writing about a bunch of stuff in the paper this week. I'm kind of back and raring to go, so do check out the paper at thetimes.co.uk or pick up an actual paper copy of The Sunday Times. On Twitter, at Danny Fortson. Email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it for me this week. Thank you, and we'll talk to you very soon. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
Code Program.